God gave this world to mankind, and the empires of men have grasped for power. But God has announced a new kingdom, a kingdom that reclaims this world with a new commerce, a new treasure, and a king of new life. There was an older gentleman in failing health, so we had to move back in with his children and his grandchildren. And he had them every week buy him a lottery ticket. And to their delight and surprise, one week, as they checked the numbers, they realized that Grandpa had won the lottery. That little ticket was worth $10 million. But their concern was, because of his failing health, the shock of winning could cause him to literally have a heart attack and die. So they called their pastor and said, you have a way with words and grandpa loves you. Would you come and break the news to him? And so he did. With great sensitivity and wisdom, he shared the good fortune with the old man. His eyes began to well up and he said to the pastor, God has been so good to me. You and your church have been so good to me. I'm going to give five million dollars of my winnings to you and to the church. And the pastor went into shock and had a heart attack and died. Now, it should not be shocking that generosity is the norm in the church because people in the church should have taken a course called Kingdomnomics. So if you're watching online, we're in the fourth week of a short series where we're looking at what it means to step into the kingdom of God where there are different economic realities that we live by. Jesus was always talking about money. Not because he wanted money, but because he wanted hearts. And Jesus said, your heart goes wherever you put your treasure. So although Jesus wasn't interested in making money, he was very interested in making disciples. So he talked a lot about money. And we do too. Because we're trying to teach you to follow Jesus. And the way to find out if somebody is following Jesus is follow their money. Because... Their heart will go to whatever or whoever captures their treasure. So in this series, we've already learned that we own nothing, but that we steward everything. That we need to do something. And today we're going to see that we should appreciate anything. I've just given you a quick review of Kingdomnomics. Let's just go back over that quickly again. Kingdomnomics 101, God owns all. That's where it starts. This is the foundation of Kingdomnomics. That God is the only one who can legitimately say, this is mine. Everything we own is on loan. Which gets you ready for Kingdomnomics 201. That we are to manage God's trust fund. Because we're not entitled, we're entrusted. We are managing what belongs to God that He has put under our supervision. And this is going to be on the test, Jesus said. That when the owner comes back, He's going to call the stewards into account for their management. That's why we need to do something. Because 301 says stewardship needs constant intention. You do not stumble into better stewardship. 
You are not going to accidentally wander into better management of God's resources. So last week we mentioned seven areas where you might need to take action. And if you haven't heard that message, you want to go online and listen. So now we're ready for Kingdomnomics 401. We're ready to get our degree. This course, in some ways, is the simplest to grasp and the hardest to implement. You ready? Kingdomnomics 401. You are as rich as you think. Okay, that's not a Texas accent. That is a real word. You are as rich as you think. I told you 101 is the foundation. God owns all. You build a stewardship lifestyle on that foundation. But 401 is the roof. You must cultivate a heart of gratitude to protect you from all the storms that want to tear down this economic house you're building to honor God. Gratitude is so essential. If you haven't been grateful for all you have received, you're not going to be mindful that it all is God's in the first place. Let me show you that. Romans 1. It says of the people that rebelled against God that they knew Him, but they didn't give glory to Him. They didn't give Him thanks. So they traded the glory of God who lives forever for idols. Here's what happens. If you thank God less, you will inevitably think of God substitutes more. If you don't thank God, your heart will turn to something or someone that you can credit for your blessing. And this is how idolatry begins. So scripture is full of calls to thank God, not because he needs to hear it, but because you need to say it so that your heart doesn't get polluted. So Ephesians 5.20 says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Philippians 4.6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him For all he has done. Are you fluent in the language of thanksgiving? Most of us are more like the little boy that went to the birthday party. And his mama told him, now you thank the nice lady when you leave. So he picked up her son after the party. And the first question she asked was, did you thank the nice lady for the party? And he said, no. She said, why not? I told you to do that. He said, well, I was going to, but the little girl in front of me said, thank you. And the lady said, don't mention it. So I didn't. (laughs) So why don't we mention it? Well, we're not fluent in Thanksgiving as we need to be. Because we don't think that we're as wealthy and as blessed As we ought to be. Here's what I've learned. Nobody thinks they're rich. But everybody knows somebody 
who is. So I don't know where you draw the rich line. We all draw it in different places. But everyone lives right under the line, but knows somebody that lives right over it. We deny the blessing of being rich more than any other blessing we have. And so we don't thank because we don't think. And yet, for the next two minutes, I'm going to make you uncomfortable persuading you that you're rich. Have you ever had your teeth fixed? If you've ever gone to a dentist, you are rich. A month ago, my wife fell. She badly broke two fingers on her right hand. Do you know what happens in most of the world when you break fingers? You live the rest of your life with crooked fingers. But we took Jamie to the emergency room. They splintered her fingers. They x-rayed. They gave her medication to take the edge off the pain. Because, you see, Jamie and I are rich. Have your kids ever played a sport or taken dance lessons and you bought a uniform or leotards or cleats because if you have you're rich have you ever paid for a babysitter you actually had enough money to give to somebody to watch your kids for you then you're rich do you have a car then by the world standard, you are rich. Do you have two cars? You are very rich. Some of you have a car for every person in your house. In fact, your cars have a house. They don't sleep out in the cold, but they actually have a roof over their heads at night. However... 25% of Americans with a two-car garage do not park either car in the garage because they have so much stuff in the garage they can't get their cars in. Because we're rich. I'll prove we're rich. We upgrade. We do it all the time. You know what I mean. We will take perfectly fine clothes that still fit or appliances that still work or cars that still drive, or furniture that's still comfortable, and we'll get rid of it. Simply because we want something newer. We've all done this. Your phone receives calls and does texts. In fact, your phone will tell you how your stocks are doing, will buy movie tickets, and give you a weather report for Kathmandu. But the new phone can launch missiles and do heart surgery. So, my phone's a piece of junk. And we're not happy because we don't have what's new. This is how rich people think. Rich people are not content with what they have because they have the means to get whatever's next. Jesus 
had these thousands of people to feed. But all he had was a basket lunch with a little bit of fish and bread. He did something very interesting. He prayed and gave thanks for what he had. And what happened next was a miracle. We tend to do it the other way around. God, give me a miracle. And then I'll say thanks. We tend to say, God, you make sure I have enough. And then I'll give thanks. Instead of giving thanks for what we have. And watching God make sure that it's enough. You are as rich as you think. And if as a Kingdomnomics graduate, you will cultivate a satisfied heart, some awesome things will happen. One is that it will decrease entitlement. Abraham Lincoln was walking down a road with his two boys behind him. They had been fighting and then they were crying. And someone said, what's wrong with your boys? He said, the same thing that's wrong with the whole world. I have three walnuts and each boy wants two. And we're upset and discontent. Because instead of being glad for what we have, we're bitter that we don't have more, even if it's at someone else's expense. So I want you to beware the propaganda of a perpetually dissatisfied culture. And by the way, in the next several weeks, you are going to see thousands of advertisements who have one goal, to make you dissatisfied. Beware of drinking the Kool-Aid of a culture that is constantly upset because it lives by the motto, I am owed. That's why our courts are backed up with lawsuits. Because everybody's entitled, everybody's been done wrong, everybody's owed something. And if we think we deserve it, We are not grateful when we get it. And we're bitter when we don't. Look at this verse from 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Can I be honest? I have been cont- discontent many times, never once for lack of food or clothing. Never once have I woken up and wondered if I would eat that day. Never once have I prayed the Lord's Prayer, give me this day my daily bread, and prayed it literally. Because I'm rich. And kingdomnomics is teaching me to define contentment in a new way. Paul is in prison in Philippi. No, in Rome. And the church in Philippi sends him some money. And he's grateful and he writes them. But he says, just need to know that your gift did not change my attitude. That... My level of joy is not dependent on my level of abundance. Because I have learned to be content when I have a little or when I have a lot. 
I've learned the secret of being content. Because I can do all things when Christ is giving me strength. So you're going to have to learn that secret. Nobody is born this way. We learn this when we learn that we're not entitled. We are graced. James puts it like this. Don't be deceived. And he says that because it's easy to get deceived. He says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So you see, Thanksgiving is a proactive vaccine against deception, against discontentment, against this spirit of entitlement. It changes, well, why not me, into, why me, God? Why should I have as much as I do have? And what will happen then is that that will increase enjoyment. So these two guys are walking through a pasture. They didn't recognize a bull was in there who began to chase them. They start running for the fence but realize they're not going to make it. One says to the other, you better say a prayer. And the other says, I've never prayed in public in my life. Well, you better pray one now because that bull's about to catch us. Y'all pray the only prayer I know, the one my mom taught me at the table when I was little. Father, for what we're about to receive, may we be truly thankful. (laughs) Do you enjoy what you do have? Now, I'll make the financial counselors nervous, but here's the truth. The Bible says more about enjoying your wealth than it does about saving it. Like, for example, Ecclesiastes 5. When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. Because God is a good father and all good parents enjoy watching their kids enjoy what they have given them. So, for example, 1 Timothy 6 says, teach Those who are rich, that's you and me, teach them. They're rich in this world, not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, and that's the truth. But their trust should be in God, who not sparingly, not barely, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God loves it when we really enjoy what we do have. Two chapters earlier, Paul says, since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. The more grateful you are, the more joyful you will be with what you have. So you need to be careful of what I call there and then thinking and letting it replace here and now thinking. Do you know what I mean? Some people can't enjoy here and now because it's always, well, there and then and someday I'm going to get happy. No, here and now, enjoy what you do have. I'll give you a personal example. I'm able several times a week to exercise, to work out, to go and run. And every time I do, I say a prayer to God and I thank Him that I can. 
Here's something you don't know about me. I have never been to the hospital except to see someone else. Except for the day I was born. And they didn't ask me then. They just took me. I would have rather stayed home. (laughs) I've been blessed with good health. I've never been in a bad accident. I've never had a serious illness. And so when I'm running, I'm thinking and I'm thanking God. I'm glad I can still do this. Thank you. I don't want to be the guy 10 or 20 or 30 years from now sitting in a chair bitter about what he can't do anymore. Here and now, I'm grateful for what I have. You know, we've all heard, well, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Well, that's a fine country song, but that's a terrible Christian hymn. Why can't you know what you have while you still have it? Why do you have to lose it to be grateful for it? Why can't you be thankful for it right now? Ecclesiastes 6.9 Enjoy what you have instead of desiring what you don't have. Appreciate anything. Even beets. Are there going to be beets on the table this Thursday at your house? I don't know who started the tradition at Thanksgiving of beets. It needs to stop. But as long as they're on the table, I'm going to give thanks. In fact, I am so thankful for beets, I will give you mine. Good stewards enjoy what they have. And that's why they're able to employ what they have. Only joyful people are generous. There is a reason that the word miser and the word miserable come from the same root. Because when you cultivate a grateful heart, it will produce engagement. Now, we're rich. We're not going to argue about that anymore. So let's be good and rich. Let's decide that we're going to be good at being rich. Remember that verse where it says God gives us richly for our enjoyment? Here's the very next verse. You tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now, it might shock you, but nowhere does the Bible say stop being rich. Rich. Now, money makes a terrible master. But money makes a wonderful servant when Jesus is your master. So most kingdomic graduates are not going to take a vow of poverty. A few will. But most won't. But all of them will take a vow of generosity. All of them will engage in God's mission by being a channel of His blessings instead of a dam. So that what God has richly given them flows through them to the world God is reaching. Recently I came across a story by a pastor in Chattanooga named Jordan Borger. And his church was ministering to a homeless colony that lived under a bridge near their church building. He met a woman named Tammy. They helped her a few times but never saw her. 
until Tammy was assaulted. She wound up in a hospital and she called the church. And some people showed up, ministered to her. And Tammy began coming to Pastor Jordan's church. And they began giving Tammy vouchers so that she could get the most basic essentials to just survive. But the problem is that Tammy kept giving them away to other people that lived under the bridge. So Pastor Jordan said, Tammy, you need to stop doing that. We give those vouchers to you. And she asked a simple question that rocked his world. I'm a Christian. Why shouldn't I give too? And Pastor Jordan realized what he had done. He had treated Tammy like she was a project. Instead of a sister in Christ. And when you treat people like they're only receivers and they're never releasers, you belittle them. Rob them of dignity. Because God created all of us, not just to be recipients of His grace, but to be participants into His gracious mission to the world. And so Paul says, Second Corinthians 9, he'll make you rich in every way. Why? So that you can always give freely. And your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. You see how it goes full circle? You are thankful for God's goodness to you. So you share that grace with others who come to know God and begin to thank him too. Thanksgiving is not a day. Thanksgiving is a movement. As God's kingdom goes throughout the world. It's the inevitable response to the generosity of God. Because basically and fundamentally, to understand how to be a good steward, I've got to understand the gospel. I want you to think about this. What did God need? What does God want that He doesn't already have? Just one thing. Us. And so He gave. He gave His only Son. That whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but could spend eternity with God. You are the reason for the season. And so when we talk about the grace of giving, understand it's rooted in the giving of grace. That's why it's easy to recognize a Kingdom Amish graduate. Because they're always thinking about Jesus. You don't have to be around them very long. Before you'll see it and hear it. They're always thinking about Jesus. This really hasn't been a series on money. 
It's been a series on the gospel. Because the gospel teaches me to think and thank differently. The most powerful section in the whole Bible on stewardship is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And here's the very last verse. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. When you're overwhelmed with Jesus, when you just can't stop being grateful for Jesus, when Jesus is your treasure, you will manage all your other treasures differently. And so the Puritan sat at his supper table, and all he had was bread and a cup of water. And he prayed, What? All this and Jesus too? So this Thursday, most of you are going to get with some friends or some family. You're going to eat some good food. You're going to watch some bad football. (laughs) And you're probably going to take a moment and express thanks for your health, for your friends, for your loved ones, for your home, for your job. Are you going to take time and be thankful for Jesus? He came like us and took our sins from us because He died for us. Because God could not imagine heaven without us. Is Jesus your treasure? So would you take a moment, just bow your heads. And would you just thank heaven for Jesus? Oh God. We will never understand or fathom the depth of your love. Jesus, we will never grasp why you thought we were worth it. But we can embrace what we cannot understand. So let every danger, angel, let every demon, let every being in the heavenlies that can listen to prayer, hear this. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for wanting to spend forever with us. And help us Get better at saying thanks. For Jesus' sake, 
Amen. So please stand. If you're on the prayer team, please take your place. We're going to worship our good King. We're going to be stunned by His love and let Him know how grateful we are. It's a great time for you to come and receive prayer. It's a great time for you to come and just ask how you can become a Christian. It's a great time for you to come just because you want to tell somebody else that you're thankful. Let's worship together.